You're not fighting anything. You just can lay. I can't do it. Uh, I've always admired those people that can float on the water. I can't do it. I'm always, my head's up and everything else is down. But, you know, the current will take you where it wants to. And you got to know this. You can trust the hand of God. And it's really not living till you do. You know, uh, just a quick testimony. I was at a church Wednesday night and asked us to share a testimony. But you know, I didn't understand when God was doing what he was doing, how he was doing it three years ago, shifting, relocating my family into Alabama. I had no idea. I thought I had an idea. I thought I knew what we were doing. I thought I knew the timeline, but I had no idea COVID was coming. had no idea all these other things were coming. So I thought God was impressing on our heart to move our family to Alabama, put them up there, and we begin to build the next campus. And man, I worked my bottom off doing what I thought. But you know... What I love about it is this. Me and Jennifer had just moved our life to a place where we're going to be in over our head. We're going to let the Lord lead us. We're going to flow in this thing. And, you know, God led us there. But the problem is a lot of times we get somewhere and we get the wrong idea why we're there. And so I thought we're doing that. And so we were, we were playing there. And we are doing good work. And we saw people saying all that. But um, when COVID hit, it just literally, the first, well, first thing COVID did, we were, the building we were leasing, boom. They shut down all Lisa. Well, first, everything locked down different in other states than they did in Arkansas. Boom, couldn't meet together, period. So, boom, our congregation now went online with us. All right, but then what happened after that was Hurricane Sally came through and ripped apart the building that we had written. And it's still, to this day, five months ago, still don't have a roof on it. They still didn't open the door. And we've still not gathered back together there. So then I'm saying, God, uh, you flowed me here. <laughs> I was completely in over my head. What's going on? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In other words, this. Hey, uh, you can be completely in the river and flow and be going in direction thinking that, you know, you know what you're doing. But the truth of the matter is, if God's in control, it's always going to be bigger than what you think. And so he don't mind us thinking wrong, but we just don't lean to our own understanding. In other words, we don't make it about what we think. We just allow God to continue to flow. And so there we were now. We had no congregation. All the churches are shutting down. All the day. And so there we were. I'm like, God, why didn't you leave us in Hedera? At least, you know what I'm saying? And then I was like, oh, Lord, I don't want to be the children of Israel. Why don't you leave us in Egypt? This ain't Egypt. I'm just saying when the Lord leads and flows. But then when we took our daughter to the doctor last year and we walked in and the doctor looked at her and she'd been to doctor her whole life. No one saw it. The doctor looked at her and said, something's wrong with her walk. Y'all need to go to a specialist. We went to that specialist and when we got to the specialist, they said that there's something majorly wrong and you know, one in a thousand kids have one of this, but you got two of this. They don't even have a statistic for that. It's one every five or six years. And thing about it was if I would have been here in Arkansas and they found it, we would have been using doc- Arkansas doctors and Arkansas hospitals. And Arkansas is number 47 in the United States of doing this. But we were in Alabama when they found it. And so Alabama is number six in the United States. Not only is it number six, the number three doctor in the United States was right there. And so instead of us having to believe God to get through something that was totally out man, God had flowed our life to exact place where all the pieces began to get together. And you say, well, Craig, that's just coincidence. Well, how can you say coincidence on this? They scared, we found out on May uh, 10th that this was, or March 10th, a year ago, this was all taking place. All right? They told us we're going to have to schedule this surgery, and every 30 days mattered. Every 30 days the clock ticks. Her body would change a little bit more to where about 13. She would be, if they didn't do it by six, they couldn't do anything. All right, so she was three and a half. If they didn't do anything by six, she'd be in a wheelchair by 13, and she would have to have all of her hips and everything from waist down replaced by 20. And so he said, every 30 days matter because bone shift change grow. But because we were in the river over our head there, we could trust that. We're in over our head now. And so everything started shutting down. Everything started locking. We were, March 10th, they scheduled it for March 3rd. And i got to be honest, we were scared to death. Our family got together and cried a lot. We prayed a lot. We, we, me and Jen had set out. We're going to fast for seven days. Two days into it, we got the call that says, we need you to come tomorrow. Because the doctor's schedule had changed and didn't know if he'd be there. We need you to be there tomorrow. So 
that you, uh, we first got a shot two days before. Now we got a real shot. We don't got time to pray. We don't got time to fast. We don't got time to do all this stuff. And so didn't have time to get a lot of prayer warriors on board. Or man, time was gone. So we trusted God and we went. When we got there, March thirteenth, we walked in, put the baby in. You know, went in at five. The doctor was supposed to come see us at eight o'clock. Wasn't there at eight. He was supposed to see us eight thirty. Wasn't there at eight thirty. Walked in at nine and said, "Listen, they're shutting the hospital down today." He said, after today, there won't be any more um, emer- surgeries except life-saving or emergency surgeries. We were like, well, how long will this be? He said, you know, it could be up to a year is what they're saying. They said, we have no idea what COVID actually is going to do. And so we're talking about now what they said 30 days matters. They're talking about putting our baby, but he, this is what the doctor said. He goes, but I'm going to do this surgery today no matter what it takes. And we were the very last surgery done at that children's hospital before COVID locked down. You can't tell me you can't trust the river. So why would you just get ankle deep? Why would you just get knee deep and fight and spend, a, spend this life that God has been resisting things that God has for you? Why would you just get in waist deep so you get to be in control? Got to be honest with you. Nobody on this planet loves my daughters more than me and Jen. We would do anything, but I'm not smart enough to work all that out. I could not pull enough strings. I don't have enough money to pay somebody to move my daughter to the front of the line and make sure she has that surgery before they shut everything down. That's why we're in the river. And saying all that to say this, you know, you can trust it. And still, as the river flows, do I understand everything? No. But I don't have to understand. You can enjoy the ride. You can. And so, is it easy? No. You say, well, Cricket, why, why didn't God just heal your daughter? He is. He is. You, he, he's going to faithfully complete what he has started. And saying all this, this, this life that we have the opportunity to live, you can't get it anywhere else. You can't live it any way else. And God has already designed it planned it and created you to be completely fulfilled, completely happy, everything you need. He puts you in a life that will flow. It says flow. It says, Old Testament was flow with milk and honey. New Testament, the Bible says, the woman at the well said, you know, Jesus showed up at the well and she was there to get water. And she'd done been, after, been in marriage after marriage after marriage trying to make that fulfill her. But it wouldn't, I'm sure, it broke her and hurt her, shattered her life and left her heart in pieces. And now she's even moved to the point of just living with the guy just because, obviously, he was a jerk. He wouldn't marry her. And so she was just trying to get by. And Jesus showed up and she was at a well trying to get a drink. And Jesus said, if you knew who you were, and you'd say, well, she needed Jesus. No, I believe she was a Christian. Because when they were talking, she said, you Jews worship God in the synagogue. We worship on the mountain. She was a church girl. But her life was still just completely shattered and messed up. Why? Because she had no idea that there was this other life available beyond just being saved. Jesus said, I come to give you life. And so there's more than just saved. Life more abundantly. And he said, if you knew who you were talking to, Jesus... You would ask me for a drink and I would put a river of living water that will flow. It's that flow again, that life that flows full of joy, flows full of peace. God has all this promise filled life for us. So the question is, how do I get there? Because I've been living for God for a long time and I'm not there. Well, God gave us the book of Joshua to show us. I'm so excited that we're taking the beginning of this year and going through this because God doesn't want you not to know. He wants you to know how to get that life. And he gave us a roadmap to live it. And it started, we started talking about it a couple of weeks ago when we were on the online service about what kind of guy Joshua was. He was a Christian guy, church boy. You know, and he loved God. And he had a prayer life and he had all the... So he was a lot like a lot of us in here. But yet his life had not moved into flowing yet. He wanted to go into the promised land. He wanted to be somewhere where his life flowed with milk and honey. He wanted that promise-filled life. But he wasn't there yet. And so then it shows us the journey, how he possessed the land. And so last week we talked about the first thing. It made no sense that what God did was when he brought him into, when they brought them into the promised land, the first thing that they had to do was, made no sense, but they had to be cut and circumcised. And that's the dumbest thing to do if you're going to take a land because that means your men can't fight. But the truth is this, 
any of us that are trying to live this life and we're full of the flesh, you're going to find yourself constantly being chased by the devil. Because the Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil's a meat eater. And the first thing that God told Joshua and the children of Israel to do is they had to cut the meat away. They had to cut the flesh away. They had to be certain. They, they, the thing about it is this life that he has for us can't be lived like living like the world. Can't be lived living and directed by the flesh. You have to choose that. There's two of me. There's an inward me and there's an outward me. And the inward me has to become stronger than the outward me. My spirit man has to be stronger than my flesh man. You say, well, how do I do that? That's why God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And so last week we talked about cutting the flesh away. But we didn't leave it there because that God gave them a two commandment there. When they first said, first be circumcised. Then it says, and then celebrate Passover. So I've been parts of my life where I would come and I would do the cutting away in this life and repent and lay parts of me down. But then I would stay at the cutting table because I felt like that I'm just a sinner and I'll always be a sinner. I want you to know something. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And I might blow it tomorrow and I'm, I'm going to repent from it. And I might, I'm going to probably blow it today. Uh, when Jennifer calls me mad about what I said earlier, I will probably have to repent after that phone call. But um, say this, say this, the, that... I am constantly at work, and every day I plan on leaving a piece of meat on the altar, cutting parts of me away. You say, well, how do we do that? The Word of God says, that's what does it. The more I begin to live the Word of God out in my life, the more the flesh is left at the altar. But it says I don't stay at that. It says I must get up and rejoice and celebrate Passover. What does that mean? Man, You, I'm, every day I'm getting better. I'm not what I was, but I'm not where I'm staying. But I am covered by the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to get up every day celebrating that I am a child of God. But then they got time for them to move and begin to take and possess. And that's where we find ourselves today. The children of Israel moving into the promised land. And when they moved into the promised land, the first encounter they had. Now, you've got to understand, God gave them this, this land. It was theirs now. They held the title, but they had squatters in it. And these weren't just little squatters. These were giants. And the thing about these giants is that they were very intimidating and they were going to... They weren't just going to pack up and leave. Any landlords in here ever had a renter not want to leave? <laughs> that's why I'm not a landlord. Me and Jim flip houses because that's the side of renting I don't want to deal with. And I don't know if I could. But uh, I understand that you know, when someone's living in something that's yours, they're stealing and taking from you. And that what was taken, they had this life and there were, in, there were giant stuff living in this promised land. But you need to know this. Just because you're saved doesn't mean life's going to be easy. God, God, this promise-filled life that I have is mine. I can live in it. God says, everywhere my foot treads, I can possess. I'm supposed to walk everywhere I'll go, and the promises of God be at work in my life. And the more I walk, the more they are. The thing about it is there are, you're going to have to fight for it. I, I, the promises say, I get up every day, and I can rejoice. For this is the day that the Lord has made. So that I can get up and be fullness of joy. I can have peace. I can have um, life and life more abundant. Oh, it says every spiritual blessing is mine. But you're going to have to fight for these. Because every day you get up, the devil's going to try to convince you that this isn't yours. Or the devil's going to try to stop you in some way and keep you from having it. He, i got to be honest with you. If you're married, it's amazing how well he can use a Christian spouse. To try to take your joy, take your peace, you know, or kids. I mean, Bible says that kids are a gift from God. They're arrows in a man's quiver. You have not, it's amazing how God can use kids to try to steal the peace in life and joy. And it's a fight. The thing about it is, I got a wallet in my pocket, and it's mine. Everything in it's mine. But there are people that are going to try to take it from me. And it's my, up to me whether or not I'll let them. And are you going to let the enemy take what God has for you? You're going to have to choose to fight. The thing about it is, most Christians are so weak that they can't fight. So, when the enemy comes in, when the enemy comes in, they just take what the enemy has to do or let him take what God has for them. So that's why God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Over the next several weeks, we are going through the process of you becoming strong and me becoming strong. Because God, the Bible says, Jesus, the Bible says, God won't give you anything you can't handle without creating a way of escape. That means this, if I'm not strong enough to handle the blessings that God has for me, 
God can't bring them into my life yet. And this is a process. That every day, God gets me bigger and bigger and bigger. The, the inside of me, the inward man, is to grow every day. And the outward man of me is to get smaller and smaller and smaller every day. And so here we find the children of Israel going to take steps toward what God has for them. And the Bible says they come up, and the first obstacle in their way is a city called Jericho. Now, we've got a picture of Jericho here. Jericho is a city that was established right across the Jordan River, and um, it was uh, positioned with the Amorites. They were not even supposed to be in the land. But now they possessed this place. And it wasn't a real big city. As a matter of fact, still today, you can go, the, the, the land mass of this city was only about nine acres. It's not a very big city at all. Very small city. Usually, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I thought, man, Jericho must have been this massive thing. It was a massive thing. But it was only about nine acres. It didn't cover that much land. But you can build a lot upwards. Just look at Japan, you know, and they built up. And so um, what they did on Jericho, they built it on a hill. Because the way they built it on this hill was they built it to go up because the enemy built it in a place where it wasn't just to possess the land, but it was also to become a, a fortress. It became a stronghold at the very beginning of the things that God had promised them. I'm here to tell you, from the day you were born, what happened here was this. The Bible says that the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and God's hand parted the Red Sea, said that the news got out. When Pharaoh and the army, which was a big army, powerful army, had been defeated and totally wiped off the face of the earth by the hand of God, it said it put fear in the hearts of the people in the promised land. So they began to build and prepare for these people that God was blessing to come at them. And so they spent 40 years fortifying this city. And so although it was not a very big city, it became a stronghold, a fortress, actually an impenetrable odds. When you come against a city and you were to take a city that was walled up, there are actually five, uh, historians say there are five ways that you take a city like this. Well, Jericho knew the five ways that they take, and they had built the city to where none of these five could defeat it. You know, one, they would siege a city, and so they would cut off all the life source to it because most cities, the wells were outside the city, so they people would go out the gates and get the water and go out and get the... But see, this city had a spring on the inside of it, so when, if, they, if the enemy came out, they could lock the door, get inside, and they could stay there forever with water. When the children of Israel had crossed over into the promised land, it had just been harvest season. Because when they crossed the Jordan River, the waters had parted. And uh, they, it was at flood state, is what the Bible says. And history records that, you know, over there, it always, at, right at harvest season, the river floods. And so it was at flood season. Harvest season had just happened. So that means their grain and their storehouses would have been full. They wouldn't have needed to come out to get food. They could have rolled them out because then entire years worth of food and stuff was there. You know, they, they had a double wall to where if one was breached, another army could stand on the other wall and be able to beat the oncoming forces in between, which now became a prison to them. It had fortified itself to where it was invincible to any attack, except the hand of God. And after 40 years of planning, 40 years of, of, of building, and 40 years of designing this city, they thought that they were going to possess this land forever. The truth is, every one of us have a Jericho in our lives. It became a stronghold. And from the day you were born, the enemy has been scared to death of you. From the day you were born, the enemy heard what God said about you in Psalms 139. He says you were wonderfully and beautifully created. He knew what the Word of God said about you in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, plans of not of evil, plans to give you a future. The devil knew everything about you. And so for every day of your life, he's been building walls in your life, in the promises that God has for you that have become strongholds that are keeping you from possessing what God has. That's why some of us can't find joy because the enemy has built such a stronghold over our 
brokenness in our past. Or some of us can't find peace because of what someone else did when we were just a child to us. Or some of us can't get free from fear because of the circumstances and the situations we grew up in. Every one of us here today has a Jericho that the enemy has built in our lives to become a stronghold. That's why the New Testament says that one of our jobs is to tear down the strong. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers, principalities, ruler our spiritual wickedness in high places. And we're to tear down strongholds. Why? Because the stronghold that the enemy has put on the inside of you, it is to keep you from living that life that God has. So you can be completely saved and be addicted. You can be completely saved, you know what I'm saying, and still divorced. You can be completely saved and depressed. You can, but what it's connected to is there's a stronghold somewhere in your life that the enemy has spent years designing and planning. And the thing about it, these strongholds is, you need to know today, and I feel like the Lord sent me here to tell you, it's just a mirage. See, they designed this city in a certain way. And in Deuteronomy, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says when the 40 years before, the spies went into Jericho and they spied out this land. And it says they came back and gave this report. Yes, it is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, sir. We can see God is blessing this area. But this is the problem. It says they have giants in the land. And it says, and they have built fortresses that that's walls go up to the heavens. Deuteronomy 1, I believe 28, says the wall describing Jericho. So what did Jericho look like? This is what it looked like. It wasn't that big. I mean, talking about nine acres. My yard is an acre. And, man, my kids don't think it's enough. When I mow it, I feel like it's plenty. But my kids, you know, they're like, Dad, we need to get a farm. And, Dad, we need... You know, this this city was only nine acres. But the way they built it, they built it on a hill. And they built it. It's a double-walled city. And the walls that they built, they designed them. The first one, you came up to the wall, the first wall was they built a mud brick wall that came up um, eight foot tall. Uh, Jerusalem, Jericho is one of the most archaeologically dug city in history. They've been researching this thing. They're still digging there today. But you came up to the wall and it was the top of it. The first part was like a, um, a, 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 a retaining wall. They built the first eight feet, 12 to 14 feet wide. It came up eight feet, and then from there, they took mid, uh, clay and mud bricks and went up six feet wide and 20 feet tall. That was the first wall. Then you go back to the next wall, and they did the exact same thing again. But now this wall was built on a higher elevation. It's kind of, go ahead, Tony, show us the, the next picture of the double wall there. That's what it would have looked like coming in. So historians and Archaeologists now say that if you would have been standing where those men are standing on the bottom, the height of the second wall would have been 66 feet tall from where they're standing. Seven stories. These walls protecting this thing were seven stories. When those men stood at the bottom of that hill and looked up seven stories and thought, how could I ever possibly climb over this thing? How can I ever get victory in this area? How can we take back this hill that's supposed to belong to us, that's inhabited now by depression or by anger or by bitterness or by unforgiveness or by addiction or by broken hearts or broken minds? How do we possess this? Because these walls are impenetrable. But they knew when they built it. Same way we knew when we built the, the Washington, D.C., you know, everything in Washington, D.C. was designed at its scale to where when foreign dignitaries came over and visit America and walked through Washington, D.C., every monument, every building is supposed to strike intimidation into the hearts of our enemies. So that's why when you go to Washington, D.C. and you see the White House or you see the monument stuff, it's like, wow, they, it was built purposeful that way. So when foreign dignitaries come to America, they would be intimidated by the, by the power or the force that it looks like we have. This is what was built at Jericho. They built a city, although it wasn't very many people, it wasn't that big. They built it in a way that even when an enemy saw it, they thought there's no way we will ever be able to take victory in this area. Honestly, 
in my life, I probably would have said, Lord, let me go find another city to take first. You know, it's not that big. We can go around this one. You know, and take a bigger or better city. We can go after one that, you know, that would be a little bit easier and get their, get their weapons, get their door, take their slaves, let them join. Let me get a little bit bigger before I come back and try to deal with this. But you've got to understand something. You'll never be big enough to deal with this. That's why it's been there all this time. It was designed. And the thing about God is this. You're never going to get victory in this area that the enemy has put a Jericho in your life in without the hand of God. Because you can't tear down strongholds. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against powers. You're not going to be able to do this naturally. It's going to have to be done supernaturally. The thing about it is the promise to Joshua and the promise to me and you and the promise to the children of Israel is this, that you're not going to do it alone. If you go back to Joshua 1.8, it says, it says, I will be with you. And that changes everything when the hand of God is with you. The Bible says, if God before you, who can stand against you? This city, and I want to show you something maybe today that you didn't know. On the inside of the wall, it looks different from the outside of the wall. This was a mirage. This city was built in a way that when people walked up, they would give up before they would even try to fight. But then if they did try to fight it on their own, they would find themselves in a dangerous battleground between the two walls where they were sitting prey. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. It's designed to destroy you. It's designed to keep you back. But the thing about it is God never designed you to do it alone. And for you to live this spirit-filled life, you're going to have to do it with the presence of God. And so here in Joshua, we pick up, in Joshua chapter 6, we in chapter 5, we pick up with God positioning His people to get ready to take a city that would be impenetrable to take. And the first chapter, I love, I mean the first scripture of this I love, because we know what it looks like on the outside. But it's just a mirage. Because that first scripture in this chapter lets us see what it looks like on the inside. And it says this, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. See, you're looking at this thing thinking, it's impossible. I've tried for years. Man, I've, I've not, I can't change him. I, I can't do anything about that. You know, I, I'm powerless against what I'm seeing. And God said this, Right at the very beginning, on the inside of the walls, the enemies were more scared of them than you should be of what's on the inside. They, the enemy were so scared that when the Israelites stepped their way, they locked it down. They shut the gate. And then look what it says. It says, and it says, no one went in and no one came out. You've got the enemy pinned in. You need to understand that you're not on the run. The devil's not backing you into a corner. Man, when you accepted Jesus and you decided that, man, I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. I'm going to start living the way God's asked me to live and cut away the flesh. Man, you now have the enemy pinned in. You see, we think the enemy's always after us. No, no, no. You need to understand that's just a mirage. That wall, that thing, that battle, you feel like you've been fighting and struggling for a long time. It, it may be big. thing about it is, what's going on on the other side of the wall is, the devil knows at this moment, it's only a matter of time from now to when this is over. Because there's nothing that you, he can do to stop you. He's already lost the battle once you accepted Jesus. And so, on the inside of this stronghold, on the inside of what's going on in your life, on the inside of that thing you have felt been such a big deal, you need to know. It's hollow and it's empty. They're scared to death. That's why they have locked down and that's why they decided they're not going anywhere. Is because they have nowhere to go. See, when the demons were inside of that one kid and Jesus came up to him, they didn't try to hold on inside of Legion because they knew 
that they had to go. So they started manipulating and they started trying to convince, said, you know, we know we got to go, but hey, don't send us there. Let us go into these pigs. You know, they knew they were already going to have to get out. And if these people would have been smart inside of Jericho instead of locking the door, they'd have stepped out and said, hey, you guys can have this because there's no way we can stop you. We'll move on the other side of the river. That's what they should have done, but they weren't smart enough to do it because the enemy thinks if he can just keep you looking at these walls that you're not going to decide to come over them. But you can tear this. The Bible says, David, you need to know this about you. When you accepted Jesus, you became anointed. That's a church word. And, you know, in the world don't mean a whole lot, but what that means is now you are covered in the Spirit of God. And you're just not, we talked a few months ago about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? When you ask Jesus in, He comes in. And He fills your life up. But then the Bible says that He wants you to be in Him. And we would drop the cup down in a bigger cup, and that cup wasn't just full anymore, but it was completely immersed in and around. You're anointed. The Spirit of God is just not in you, it's with you. And it's just not for you, it's with you. And see, when you're anointed, it changes everything. And so when you need to know this about you, that you are and you have the ability. What the enemy used to could hold you back with now, he can't anymore. And so here, the children of Israel, they come to this thing and the enemy gets ready to pull back. It says, and then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now we're short on time. I'm going to go real fast. Well, let me read two different accounts to you right here, and then I'll break these things out real quick. Number one, this is what it says. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho to you. All right? Then it says this. It says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with this king and its fighting men. It says, march around the city once with all your armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven pre- priests carried trumpets of rams, horns, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And with the priests blowing the trumpets, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army of God give a loud shout, and then the walls of the city will collapse, and the army will go up and everyone straight in. That's what God told Joshua. Now, let's read the next one, because it changes. It says, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumps in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city, and with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark. First thing right there, he already changed. God didn't say anything about putting an armed guard in here. All right, we're going to come back. There's three things that God changed. I mean, uh, that um, uh, Joshua changed. God told him to do this, and he was smart enough to do it, and he changed some things, all right? Secondly, he said, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest, ahead of the priest, which blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. At this time, the trumpets were sound. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voice. Do not say a word. God did not say that. Joshua added this. All right? And then we'll go one more. He says, he says do not say a word until the day I tell you uh, with a shout. Then shout. So, the, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Number three. He didn't tell them how long they were going to have to do it. Three things. Joshua was smart enough to change out of what God had told him to do. And that's odd because, you know, we think, well, wasn't God's way good enough? It was. But Joshua knew who he was leading. Joshua knew. You think Jesus has told me and you everything God's told him? Joshua being represented Jesus. Jesus has got some things in our lives that he knows that... If you knew it all, you'd mess it up. That's why God don't show you everything. That's why Jesus doesn't reveal everything to you. In my life, Jesus usually just reveals one step at a time. Because if he shows me too much, I'll decide how I'm going to get there on my own. You ever been following somebody? And um, 
you're like, hey, where are we going? I say, oh, just follow me. And they take off. And they didn't go the way you thought they were going, so you lose them halfway there. You ever done that? I've done that. You know, nowadays, well, we're getting so used to this, is what we say. We say, hey, y'all want to go meet at my house? Yeah, give me your address. We like to put it in our phone. Why? Because we like to choose the way we want to get there. See, that's not the way God works. God works this way. He says, all right, now this is where God's going to take you. This is what God's going to do. But you're going to have to follow me. And the only way to get where I'm going, if you're following me to my house, and you don't know where I live, you have to stay close enough to me to see when I turn that you need to turn. And when I move, you need to move. And so that's the way Jesus works in our lives. He don't, he don't give you the address because me and you decide how we're going to get there on our own. So what he says is stay close enough to me and I'll stay. And this is what's cool about it. You ever been following somebody and you just get mad because they drive as fast as they want to drive? I'm all the time griping. Jennifer's a faster driver than me. And when we're fine, like the girls are in there, I'm like, your mama needs to quit speeding. Your mama needs to slow down. You know, I'm like, when we get to the car, girls get out and go, mom and daddy was saying you need to. And the uh, thing about it is this. Jesus is one of those guys that will drive as slow as you let him. In other words, if you decide to go as slow as you want to go, that's how fast he's going to go. And other, you know, you ever been trying to drive some somebody following you and they won't, they they uh, won't run a yellow light. <laughs> they, you know, they won't if they, they won't pull out in front of you know a hundred yards in front of a car. And you're like, come on, they need to come, they need to come. I can imagine in my life Jesus constantly saying, "Come on, cricket, come on, that light is yellow. You can still go." You know, but I'm not. And so he has to go so slow. I've had to pull over and wait on people behind me so many times because they just wouldn't come. Through. Come on, and so they would be polite and let somebody out. And I'm like, what in the world? But that's all that. That's flesh that I'm still cutting away. Amen. But um, saying so say this, Joshua changed three things here. I want to jump into these real fast because. I believe that there's people here that feel like they've been going around in circles over and over and over again, and they're not seeing any results. You've been doing this Christian thing over and over. You've been trying to serve the Lord year after year. And it's like no matter how many times you come to church, it's still nothing in your situation changing. No matter how many times you get up and pray, or no matter how many times you come to life group, or no matter, it's like you just keep walking around this same thing. And you keep thinking, all right, when's something going to happen? When is something going to change? But see, you got to say, that's what happened here in Jericho. God told the children of Israel to get up and come and march around. This wall. And you know good and well, some of them thought there's absolutely no point to this because there's no point to a circle. It's complete just walking and walking and walking. They were just going around in circles. And i got to be honest with you. There's been times in my life the enemies made me think that what I'm doing and how I'm living seems to be going nowhere. I'm just, man, I, I've been doing that. I see God blessing other people. I see God doing things for other people. I see other kids coming. I see, I see other marriages getting strong, but not me. I'm still just walking around in circles doing the same thing over and over again. And I absolutely see no results. When am I going to see this stuff start to change? I'm here to tell you, if God's got you walking in a circle, there's going to be a day where his hand's going to come down and smash those walls if you just keep walking. You say, well, Cricket, how long is it going to last? I don't know how long it's going to last because it's not about the seven days. See, what took place here was this. God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And so the very first battle they had to fight was one that was going to condition them to get strong. Think about it is this. If I want to be strong, there's certain things I got to do. I got to eat and I got to exercise. If I just eat, I get fat. You can tell I'm an eater. If I just exercise, I get weak. You can tell I don't do much of that. And you know them people that are real get excited about going to gyms and you know saying they're always perky and stuff like Jennifer's one of those. Jennifer loves to go to the gym and I got to be honest with you. That makes me mad because I'm like, Jen, you should bodily exercise profiteth little. That's what the Bible says. And, you know, but, and she goes, but it profits. See, you staying in bed, it ain't doing nothing for you. But so there's this thing going back and forth. This is the truth, though. See, the walking around was not about the walls falling down. The walking around was so that the children of Israel would begin to be conditioned and begin to get strong. 
Because the only way you can get strong is if you take what God says and you do it. Same way physically. The only way you're going to get strong is if you eat and you exercise. You take food, you put it in, your body breaks that food down, turns it into energy. You take protein, turn it into energy, and then you take that energy and you move your muscles and follow out through actions. That makes your body strong. If I'll eat a good, you know, you see the big bodybuilder guys, you can tell, I don't know what they are, but they drink the protein shake before they go work out. Why? Because they're feeding their spirit. I mean, their body, and then they're exercising it. And what they put in them at that point becomes part of them. It doesn't just go through them. And so that's what it takes spiritually. Joshua, God said, you've got to get strong and you've got to be courageous. And so here, the children, he had an opportunity to not just t- to, to win a battle. He had an opportunity to transform the children of Israel. He gave them, he, instead of, he didn't tell them how many days they were going to walk because he didn't want them to look toward the end of the goal just to do it to get a result. You've got to get to the place in your spiritual life that you're just not obeying the scripture to get what God gives. A lot of times what happens to people is they get so caught up in the outcome, they miss what God is trying to do in the process. And so the process of them marching around the wall, they got up every day and began to condition. They got up every day and their bodies began to get stronger. They've been spending 40 years in the wilderness. They just went through 10 to 14 days of laying on their backs. They done got out of shape. So before Joshua and God could use them to take this city, God had to get these people strong. And the truth is this, you're not going to be able to possess this life that God has for you unless you're willing to let your spirit get strong. And the way your spirit gets strong, the Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You're going to have to decide that I'm going to have to eat and I'm going to have to exercise. And i got to be honest with you, that's tough. I hate going to the gym. I always do it. Me and Jen, every year we get us a a gym membership to Planet Fitness because it's a dollar. And so I always start off with my dollar. And so usually, we didn't do it this year because of COVID, usually we go and I go for the first day and I'll work out and I'll get sore. And then for the next two weeks, I spend on that airbed massage chair while she's out there on the treadmill. And so then she starts making pictures and making fun. And so then I just quit going to the gym. But see, God knew these people on this gym were going to, I mean, God, Joshua knew that these people are going to have to get up out of their beds and they're going to have to start conditioning themselves because if you can't handle what God has for you, you'll never possess it. And so what happens here is Joshua would get them up every day and he would put them through boot camp. Come on, march, 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 march. It wasn't God prolonging. It wasn't God being mean. God knew that Joshua had an opportunity to let these people begin to walk out what the Word of God had told them to do. The problem with us is we want to do the Scripture one time and we want the results. And that's not the way it works. God knows if He... every Think about it. Is If every time you pray, God answered your prayer instantly, every single person in here would have a prayer life. But we don't because God don't work that way. Because... God knows this, strong spirits pray, not just for results, but they pray for a relationship with Jesus. And so Joshua knew, i got to get these guys conditioned to where when, when, when God has blessings ahead of them, they're ready and they can handle it. And so God, they got up and walked. So you say, Cricket, how long is this going to last? When is it going to be before I see my kids say, how long is it going to be before my husband changed? I don't know. But I know this, if you don't keep walking what the Word of God says, you will never possess the city and the promises that God has for you. You get up and you walk. And you say, well, Cricket, I did that yesterday. You get up and you walk. And you get up and you walk because see what happens is somewhere in the spirit world, it goes out of being something you're doing naturally. See, why was it seven days? Because six days is the number of man. When you read in the Bible, all the way through the six represents the man. That's why the devil, the, uh, the Antichrist, you know, is six, six, six. He can't ever become God. Number seven is God's number. It's the number of completion. So what happens is, honestly, because when we get up and we begin to do what the Word of God says, we start off doing it in our own effort. Because it takes you doing effort. When it comes to coming to church, it takes you getting out of bed and putting effort into it. And I've got to be honest with you, the devil will fight you. I, I get paid to work for a church. We explained this earlier in the earlier, but yeah, I don't get paid to be here today. And there's not a single person on our staff that we pay to come to church. 
Because there are different services in the Bible. And the Bible says that we are to present our body as a living sacrifice. And you are so lucky I don't get paid to preach. I'm so lucky I don't get paid to preach because you could get a better preacher for a lot less probably than what I pay. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we don't pay to do this. Okay? This is reasonable service. In other words, the Bible says we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable service. We pay people at the church, but we don't pay them to do Sunday. You know why? Because we don't pay you to do Sunday. It's your reasonable service. There are certain things God expects that's not weird. It's not odd. It's not sacrifice. It's just obedience. And coming together with the house of God is obedience. And so, although I'm paid to be a pastor, I get paid to do everything before we get here so we can be here. I mean, and that's what we pay our staff to do. We pay our staff to do everything during the weeks so that when we come to church, we can all come and this is this. I don't pay our housekeeper to come to church. I pay him to clean the church so that when we get here, it's clean. Does that make sense? So people get it wrong in their mind. They think, I'm going to get into ministry and I'm going to get paid. No, Sunday's not a work day to me. It's the day I come and worship the Lord. Saying that to say this, do you know how many times the devil, how hard it is and how hard the devil fights me to get into church on Sunday? And I work for a church. <laughs> I know he fights everybody. This is the hard. If me and Jen are going to get in a fight, it's going to be Sunday or Saturday night. You know what I mean? If uh, the kids are going to come down sick, it's going to be Saturday night or Sunday morning. It's, hard. it's amazing how hard they know he's going to try. Because he does everything he can do to keep me from walking in my circle. He said, church is pointless, cricket. It's just like I keep going, I keep going, I keep going, and I don't see any change. Because you're still in the effort stage. The first six days was man's effort, was the hand of man. But you need to understand something. You keep doing what God's told you, and what happens in the supernatural is all of a sudden you'll hit day six, and you'll go to bed, you'll wake up the next day on day seven, and it becomes the hand of God. And what you couldn't do in effort becomes His responsibility. See, the prosperity gospel says this, give to get. Man, that's not why they were marching. They were not marching because Joshua didn't tell them in seven days. Joshua told them this, get up and march today. They didn't know when it was going to be over, how long it was going to last. They just had to decide that I'm going to get up and I'm going to obey God because He told me to do it. Not because in seven days I'm going to get this. or not because. And see, if you'll focus in on what God has got you doing and what He has told you to do, then He'll focus in on the outcome. Your job is to focus in obedience. His job is to focus in miracle. And so they got up and they marched. But then check out what Joshua told him today. This is, he said, one, he didn't give him a timeline. He said, cricket, when will this be over? It's going to be over. Weeping will last for a night, but joy will come in the morning. The hand of God always has a time on it that he's waiting for you to get to the place where he's going to reach in and everything's going to change. But what do you do till you get there? Joshua was smart enough. He said, all right, we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant out there, and I'm going to have you put armed guards around them. That was weird. God didn't tell him to do that. And this is what it tells me. In the process of the walk, this walk that I'm doing in the Lord, I have to make sure that I keep the presence of God involved in it. Because what will happen is this. If I don't guard the presence of God in my life, this becomes religion. And religion is man's effort to get to God. And they would have left the ark at camp or the ark would have got stolen by an enemy of Joshua's. I'm not going to take that chance. I'm going to put some armed guards around this thing. So while we're doing this walk, we're going to make sure it's not going to be just for effort and church. and It's going to be about us obeying God because we're going to keep God in the middle of it. And the hardest thing you'll ever have to fight for is the presence of God in your life. God inhabits atmospheres. And if you don't guard atmospheres in your life, you'll wake up one day and the presence of God will be gone. You know I mean, there's lots of times I'll wake up at home and I'll know I didn't guard my home the way I should have because the presence of God will be gone. Because if there is a spirit of strife in that house that day, that lets me know somehow I left the Holy Spirit out. He didn't just leave by choice. 
You know what I'm saying? Somehow, I didn't get before the Lord that day. Or somehow, I didn't, you know, spend time with Him. Or somehow, I've let life get me so busy, pull me so far out of what God has been calling me to do, that all of a sudden I'll wake up and there'll be a different presence involved in my situation than what God was expecting to happen. And so this is what takes place. You have to be willing to fight and guard the presence of God in your life. Hardest thing I've had to learn to do as a pastor is not answer my phone before eight o'clock in the morning. I don't do it because usually that's when phone calls come in. I get calls lots of times in the morning, but I don't answer them before eight because from six to six thirty is my guarded time. I have to get there, and if I don't get there, I'm telling you, by lunch it shows, and so. I have to guard it. And I know a lot of important calls come in. And a lot of you guys, like Roger, last week called me. And I didn't get to call him back until after 8. And he's like, I was trying to catch you early this morning before you got busy and got going. And he did, but I couldn't give that part up. Because I've learned, if I do, I might find myself walking in a circle without God being involved in it. And that's how Christians burn out. And getting to church on Sunday. I ran out of gas a few weeks ago. And I had to walk to find gas. I was on the phone. My truck will tell you when you run out of gas. But I was on the phone. It was going through my speakers. So I did. You couldn't talk over whoever was talking to me. And so my truck died. But I was able to get gas in my truck and still make it to church because I had, I was, it was on a Saturday. I'd already started coming to church the day before. And what I'm saying is this. If I'd have waited till Sunday morning to drive to church and I would have run out of gas, I wouldn't have made it. Why? Because I, would I wouldn't have guarded this in my life. Does that make sense? The Prince of God, Joshua said this, guys, if you're going to be strong, you're going to have to put some guards in the presence of God. That Ark of the Covenant is what represents the presence of God. He said, all right, God didn't tell us to guard it, but I believe it's expected. And so put some swords and some shields and we're not going to let the enemy come in and steal this thing in any way. The Prince of God has to be guarded. Then thirdly, thirdly, he told them, you better not talk. God didn't tell them to be quiet. But see, Joshua knew these people. He'd been living with them for 40 days. He raised them. As a matter of fact, the only ones there were the ones that were born in the wilderness. So he knew them from this small to this tall. He knew everything about them. And he also knew this. If I let them talk, they're going to talk themselves out of this. And they would have, if I let them talk while they walk around these walls... They'll look up and say, man, we done went around this thing twice, and I don't see a single crack up there. Man, God must not have told us to do this. Man, we must be in the wrong church. Man, we must have the wrong people. Man, we, you know, I, I must have married the wrong wife. She ain't changing at all. You know, they, he knew them. And i got to be honest with you. I'm married to the most amazing woman that has ever walked the face of this planet. I'm sorry, guys. Y'all didn't get her. I did. The thing about it is this. If I don't learn to shut my mouth, the greatest blessing God has ever given me on the earth, I will talk into being a mess. I can call her things she shouldn't be. I can say things about her she never, she has never been. You know what I'm saying? You say you, you got to be able to control this thing. Weak people say what they want to. Strong people say what God's word says about them. I mean, you somebody may have done something to you. But you get to choose whether you're weak or strong in what you say about it. You know, there may be things wrong with this church. There are. But the thing about it is strong people know where God planted them because they're here to make a difference. Weak people walk out and talk about everything that's wrong because they've done decided God can't use that place to help them change. You know how many times I get called by people to pray for their kids or maybe go see their kids or something that are living wild? And I actually told when I got the nerve up one day to tell them, I say, it won't do me no good. And they were like, well, why? I said, because you've been talking so bad about our church for so long, they won't believe a thing I say. See, he said, be quiet. Because you can let your mouth change what God is doing in your life. You gotta quit talking about him. You gotta quit talking about it. You gotta quit saying how you think you feel. Start saying what God's word says and only do and only say what God lets you say. Strong people can control what they say. 
We can't control what we think. What we have to do is, the Bible says we're to take every wrong thought captive. So when you think it, you're going to take it, examine it, check it out, make sure that it's either lined up with the Word of God or get rid of it. But you can control everything you say. And Joshua said, shut your mouth. Because you can be walking this walk, doing this thing, and letting your mouth stop everything that God is doing in your situation and behind the walls. And so we got to get that under control. And then this is what the Bible says. So we figure, why, why, does that all, why did all that take place? Because, see, the first day, it was only nine acres. <laughs> Ten for honestly. My wife runs three miles a day. She can walk nine acres. Nothing. But the first day, there were probably some people that got winded. You know what I'm saying? I would get winded running one acre. You know what I'm But these guys marched nine acres the first day. You know, they were exhausted. They're tired because it says they went home and went to sleep. You know what I'm saying? So they get up the next day. But check it out. At, about the, at the right time that God's hand was about to move, they had gotten strong enough, they were able to walk seven times in one day. You see how they just kept getting stronger and stronger? Stronger. That's why I said be strong in the Lord. Be strong. There's three things that I can do today that will help me get stronger. One, I can read the Word. Number two, I find what the Word says and I do it. That's eating and exercise. And then number three, the Bible says in Jude that says that I can um, build my spirit up by praying in the Spirit. See, in the Old Testament... Spirit came on people, but it would leave them in the New Testament. They're filled with the Spirit. That's why in Ephesians 6.10, this is what it said. It says, be strong in the Lord. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That's what we're talking about now, how to get this strength. That's why God's got you going around this thing and around this thing. You're building endurance. You're building endurance. You're building endurance. And then it says, then the New Testament, for us to live the Spirit-filled life, it says, and in the power of His might. Yeah, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that later as we go forward, but check it out. That's why some people have a hard time living saved. It's because they're not strong and not full of the Spirit. That's why the Bible says, Be strong, Lord, power is might. Put on the whole armor of God. You, they can't walk around with the helmet of salvation on because you've been trying to do this thing in your own flesh and you're too weak. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, Their spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak. In this season, making the decision that I don't care how many days I have to walk, God said it. At the beginning, He said, See, I've given Jericho into your land. The promise was there. I'm going to keep walking until I, don't, I, possess, I possess what I see. Because you know why they had to walk in a circle? Keep walking in a circle. Keep walking in a circle. Because at the first day they got there, I truly believe. They did not have the strength of the power to walk up yet. See, that wall that we talked about there, they couldn't get over it. And I believe God knew that they weren't strong enough. They didn't have the endurance enough to take it. So he said, I want you to march around this thing. It seems pointless. I want you to march around this thing. Man, people are laughing at us. I want you to walk. Y'all keep doing it. Keep doing it. You keep living for God. You keep obeying the scripture. You keep exercising. You keep, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And what happened was their leg muscles got stronger. And did you see, though, he said, first he said they were to take their, their, their weapons. So they were toting weights the whole time. They were getting stronger and stronger. On the seventh day, they marched seven times. They were strong enough. Because then the what they the Bible says they the, he, we knew they were strong enough because they began to lift up the praise. Your praise will always determine how strong you are. What I mean by that is this: when you're going through what you're going through, and it's easy to praise, you're not strong. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice. Of praise. You know, when you go to the gym, no pain, no gain. It's not a miracle changing praise until it's hard to do. It's just the Sunday that you don't want to be here. It's the work day that you just worked all weekend. You worked all weekend. The last thing you do is come to church and praise, but you decide that you're going to have a strong enough spirit to do it anyway. And you come into the house and you lift your hands or you come home from work and you just begin to worship God at the house. Your praise will determine when it becomes that if you can do it when it's not easy, 
you're reaching the point for the hand of God to get ready to move. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says they lifted up a shout. When they, when they were strong enough to do it seven times, they shouted. And then the walls fell. Now the walls that were up to the heavens fell. We got a picture of how they fell. This is how archaeologists say that it happened. They say when they fell, the walls came down in this number. Because the first, remember, eight feet were like a retaining wall. They were not really walls. They were just holding ground back. So they were never going to be able to come down because they were part of the ground. So what they had to do is the walls that were on top fell. And the archaeologists digging still today said that what was holding everybody back became a ramp for people to get in. So they didn't have to walk flat. But they had to be strong enough to walk up. And that's what God's doing. God is holding out long enough so that when when you think, I'm just going around in circles, this thing ain't changing. What God is doing, He's building a strength on the inside of you because God is calling you to live a higher level of life. He didn't make you to be the tail. He made you to be the head. The Bible says He didn't make you to be beneath. He made you to be above. And so God is positioning you, getting you ready to take you on top of everything that has been holding your back. You're going to be able to come on top of what that stronghold was. You're going to get on top of that addiction. You're going to get on top of that depression. You're going to get on top of that anger. You're going to get on top of anything that has been a stronghold in your life. If you'll just keep walking around the circle, getting stronger and stronger and stronger, God will put the rocks in the road that will be a ramp to your victory. And that's all they had to do. Would just climb. Just climb. But if they hadn't walked, they could have never climbed. They hadn't walked. So I'm going to close with this. And keep doing what you're doing. Archaeologists, when they dug this city up, they found everything. And every part of this wall in this city had fallen. Except for one place. There was, I'm sorry, Justin. <laughs> There's an eight-foot section of the wall that didn't fall. Because what's happening in your walk... God's also redeeming. There was a family sitting inside that wall. And she did not have a good past. The Bible says she was a prostitute. That, you know, she was the lowest. That's why she lived on the outer wall. The most vulnerable place. Because of choices, decisions, brokenness. She may have been born there. I don't know. That may be all she knew. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, while they were marching, God was also redeeming. There had been a girl that was not an Israelite child. She was not a person called by God. Wasn't a chosen. But because she had a heart and wanted God to save her. While they were walking, she was watching. And not only was she watching, the Bible says that they told Rahab, because she had helped the spies earlier, 40 years before, that when we come and you see us marching, if you gather your whole family in your house, when the hand of God moves and gives this city to us, He will save you. And He will save your house. And so what's happening around you is you don't even realize it. But there are families that are trapped in the wall. There are people's lives that have, have been broken by addiction and, and they've been raised in strongholds and they've had no hope. But they're watching you walk and they're gathering their family together. And when they see the hand of God move, God's going to use your march to save their lives. It's way bigger than you. You're going to go on top, but God's going to redeem at the same time. So you say, Cricket, I don't see any progress. It's okay. Keep your eyes on the obedience. And you will walk your way into your promise. You will walk your way there. You just keep walking. I want to pray. Maybe you're the one in the wall today. Maybe you're Rahab and you're not in the march yet. You know, she lived the rest of her days with God's chosen people. Not only that, man, her son became a great man. Greatest, one of the greatest men that God could choose. And not only that, it was out of her life 
that Jesus was born. When you read the lineage of Jesus, all of a sudden Rahab the prostitute was there. It's because Jesus was able to come through for us because she was sitting at a wall watching somebody else march. Look how powerful what you're doing is. So you can't give up yet. You can't stop now. you got to keep going. And I'm here to tell you, if you're not started your march yet, I want to pray with you right now. It's that quick. It's just like she made one decision and it saved her entire family. You can make one decision today and you're on this army, on this side of the wall. You're free. If you're here today and you say, Cricket, I need to get God right with God today. I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand real fast. I want to pray with you. Pray with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you to forgive me for anything in my life that would separate me from you. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and raising again so that I can live. And now, Lord, right now, I ask you to be my Lord. And from this day forth, I'm going to walk around whatever wall you tell me to, till the hand of God touches and changes my family, changes my job, changes my life, and changes every part of my life that I'm involved in. I thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Now, this is what I want to leave you. I truly felt like the Lord told me, because I've been preparing these messages for months. And building into this one, I felt like the Lord told me that somebody was on the brink of their seventh day. I believe somebody's been believing God for something for a long time. You say, is this everybody? No, there's a lot of us I believe that got to keep walking. All right? Because our day's coming. And I pray, I was like, God, is it me? Let this me, let this be my seventh day. Because I got some things I'm praying about that I'm marching around. But I felt like the Lord told me this, that there would be somebody today. You've been marching for a long time. You need to know God has seen you. And God has heard you. And God is pleased with you. And you've protected him and his presence in your life. You're just lacking one thing. And that's the shell. But today is the day that you're supposed to shout. So I want to leave it at this. Pastor Justin's about to lead us in a song. And I want this to be your chance. See, the wall, it just, it wasn't in the walk. If they would have walked the seventh time on the seventh day and stopped, nothing would have happened. But it was, they stopped and it says, and they gave the Lord, gave the Lord. They just do that. Gave the Lord. A shout. So we're going to close with that. And i got to be honest with you. Maybe you don't need nothing from the Lord, but I do. So shout for me. Okay? I want this to be my seventh day. Because I'm believing for the hand of God to do some things. And I believe that I'm about to see them. But if I know the Lord told me, He would for somebody. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. There won't be a formal dismissal. We're going to do this song. And when you have given your shout, I want you to walk outside these doors, grab a bunch of food, take it to people you know. Don't leave it here. But I want you to go out of here knowing that you're not walking in vain. You're not just going through the motions. You are actually obeying what God has called you to do. And there will be a day where the hand of man ends and the hand of God works. I love you. Let this be our shout.